So at some point, we're going to have a punchy opening. Until then, insert whatever punchy opening you think you should hear right now. Folks, hey. talking like a team. Yeah. Um, the last time we spoke, it wasn't intentional, but I think we kind of bummed each other out when talking about No Doubt's Rocksteady. Yeah. We dug deep on that one, and we, I think we went some places that we didn't intend to go, and it was cool, but a little bleak. No, I didn't expect to contend with, you know, race relations and whatnot. <laughs> but hey, conversations are conversations. Absolutely, but I think it was a valid one, because I really yeah. did think about that a lot and listening back to that album, and I think that's the thing that bugged me for a long time, but I couldn't quite articulate it, so I think that's really what it was more so than the music. We haven't necessarily said everything that we need to say about that album, but I don't want to talk about it anymore. It bums me out. Funny enough, one of the bits of info that I pulled about tonight, I think actually coincides with that, and I'll just say this. We're going to be talking about garbage. Um, specifically, beautiful garbage. Prior to that, though, um, at one point, garbage joined No Doubt um, as a supporting act from when they were promoting the Rocksteady album for a co-headlining trek around the U.S. Where was I? I don't know. And here's the great part, which is the why the fuck wasn't I there? Um, the supporting act for that co-headlining tour, the Distillers. What? Yeah, somehow, no doubt, Garbage and the Distillers were trekking across grand old United States of America, and somehow I missed it. I am so angry with old me. Yeah, holy shit. When was this? Oh, God, did even, is there a time for that? Hold on, uh, let's see. This album came out in 2001. Rocksteady was 03? Rocksteady was 2002, so it had to have been within okay. at least a year. Distillers kind of came out big 2002. So, I mean, it's not like I was too young to go to concerts. And there's this picture of Brody, Shirley, and Gwen. And I'm like, oh my god, like, this is the holy triumvirate of, like, the early 2000s. (laughs) (sighs) Me and Time Machine. Get on it. Oh, these pictures are amazing. Somehow I stumbled on... Now I'm on, like, a click hole in Pinterest. But these pictures (laughs) of Shirley and Brody, like, why was there never an album made with these three? Or at least a single something... Do you remember the Ben's LP? It was Ben Folds, Ben Keller, and another Ben. Oh my god, Ben Keller. <laughs> <laughs> ah, shit. No, I don't remember this. It's real good if you want to go back and like revel in some like mid-2000s goodness. Ben Keller, that was a star that I thought would never stop rising. It was Ben Lee. Who, who else is Ben Lee? I don't really know any of his music outside of this LP, but it was really good. I enjoyed it immensely. I would have been on that tour if I, if or not like performing on that tour. I mean, I would have been attending a show on that tour if I knew that was even a thing. I'm going to blame it on the lack of internet. Yes. We didn't know things were happening. I mean, we didn't even know of each other prior to the internet. So again, it really is the internet's fault. <laughs> Because there was no way I could, like, send you a message on, like, AIM and be like, oh, hey, guess who's touring together? Right. And then me. Okay, well, I'm going to scrape together every last dime that I have and purchase a ticket. Don't even worry about it. <laughs> Which, before we even get into Beautiful Garbage, um, can we just take a couple of minutes to just internally scream about Captain Marvel? So, you and I decided that we were going to talk about this album. And I listened to this album almost nonstop. For like a week and a half. It was basically this album and the Captain Marvel soundtrack back to back (laughs) all the fucking time. (laughs) So I've been living in the late 90s. It is a great place and everyone should come join me. I think I never left. (laughs) (laughs) If I'm being really real, I do dip into like new stuff and I'll, I'll get on my hipster bullshit. But deep down, I've never left the late 90s or late 2000s. Oh my gosh, sorry, I'm still looking at pictures of this tour, and this is like, this is so cool. 
No, I think there is a giant hipster chunk of me that will always be kind of stuck in 2008, 2009, because that's like my peak indie shit, but the 90s are great. So peak indie shit, Ashley, what are we listening to? Passion Pit was my shit before they got big. Um, Arcade Fire was my shit. Oh, so in other words, I apologize for the thing I sent you the other day. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> No, that's that that's actually really fucked up to do to a friend. <laughs> that's really um, messed up. Just like all of okay, what's crazy is like it's a ton of bands that like play on like top 40 alternative radio now. Or my mom's like, "I heard this really cool song by the Cold War Kids. You know who they are?" And I'm like, "Yeah, from high school." <laughs> Why do you know who they are? Because they do soundtracks for Dumbo. No, I guess. I guess. I'm just assuming everybody's on this. Like, basically, everybody who loved from, like, the late 2000s is now on that. That movie looks like the stuff of nightmares. Oh, by the way, I'm totally going to send this pic to you. I know you said that uh, your phone was off, but you need to see this. Oh, my God. Look, Gwen looks like Gwen. And Brody was like, like, this is essentially like those two people you knew in high school that were like totally into two different things, but didn't meet up later on. And they're actually like really cool with each other. I wish there wasn't 17,000 watermarks all over it. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Not for nothing. (laughs) I love that. Like, (laughs) I love that. Like in all of this, though, is surely she really does bridge the gap between these two rather polarizing musical figures. Oh, 100%. And that's why I love Garbage. And going back to Captain Marvel, the minute Happy When It Rain starts playing, I squealed a little bit, and people stared at me. <laughs> you should have been there, because the whole time you either would have yelled at me for not shutting up, or like constantly yelling, you're like, Ash, Ash, you're doing that thing that we're into. <laughs> oh my god, I cried like four times. So I went by myself, and there was this group of like six teenage boys sitting next to me. And I know I got a bunch of judgment face from them because I just kept crying and crying and crying and squeeing and crying and squeeing and crying. It was amazing. <laughs> I held it together for the majority of the movie. But once the few notes of Just the Girls started playing... I wanted to be excited, but I got, like, way too emotional about this. Yes. I was like, this is it. Like, I wasn't even thinking of using that for that particular scene, but it was like, oh, my God, like, this works so fucking well. Yeah. Like, it's perfect. And I know there's all these people online, oh, this is the Guardians of the Galaxy type shit. It's like, no, 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 no. You don't get to do that here. Guardians of the Galaxy, like, the soundtrack is another character in that movie. I did not feel that way about this movie. Like, I appreciated every fucking music cue that was in that movie, but I don't know. I, I just didn't think of it the same way. I was hoping for some cameo, like Shirley was going to like pop up as some like, you know. Yeah, I think they're on tour right now, actually. I think they're doing some Europe stuff. One of my favorite pics is the one you took with Shirley, and I'm like, I'm so jealous of you. <laughs> like, you got to breathe the same air. Uh, Shirley Manson called me an asshole, and it was the greatest moment of my life. What the hell did you do? <laughs> so, during the, the like, meet and greet thing that my friend and I sort of, like, stumbled into, she handed me her camera so that I could take a picture of her and Shirley, and it was me. I'm a dumbass. I, like, you know, there's my hero, like, two feet away from me. So I'm just, like, looking at this camera like it's a brick, and I don't know how to use it. And I almost drop it, and Shirley's like, if you drop your friend's camera, you might be an asshole, so probably don't do that. (laughs) And I just, like, giggled like a moron and took the picture. That's an awesome story. (laughs) So, yeah, I really forgot a lot about not only the album itself, but what was going on at the time. And I don't Mm -hmm. mean just in terms of nationally, I just mean even personally. I bought that album, let's see, this was, I bought a bunch of stuff. Okay, here's the list. Um, Bush's Golden State. Nice. And also, what was the other album? Morning View. Incubus? Yep. And I just remember listening to all those albums going, none of this sounds like the other band's previous stuff. I feel weird. But this album, like, I listened to that so heavily. 
And then for a time, I didn't, even with the later albums coming out. And I forgot so much. And it was like weird. Like it kind of came rushing back hardcore. I got like super emotional listening to this crap. Aw, that's so sweet. Because <laughs> it's so good. Like I forgot it's how so good, good this is. Like I yeah. used to think it was like, like, if you were to think of the first three albums as a trilogy, like I honestly thought this one was like at the time maybe the weakest, but really, like, I would dare to say, if we're talking strictly musically, it's definitely a better album than version 2.0. Version 2.0 feels very micromanaged and choreographed to me. And those words may sound negative, but I don't mean them negatively. Like, every detail down to the last, like, beep and boop in whatever is there for a reason. And I feel like with Beautiful Garbage, a lot of it is just more simple. And it sort of allows the album to breathe a little bit. So it's not as exhausting to listen to. (laughs) Which, again, sounds negative, but it's not. Like, version 2.0 just sort of requires more of your attention, I think. I agree. It seems like everybody just sort of let their hair down and just existed. Right. I have never been in a band, but I can imagine when you make an album as iconic as the self-titled was, the pressure to follow that up and to surpass all and any expectations must be nerve-wracking. Absolutely. So then to come into this album having won that battle, because how many bands and artists were swallowed by their second effort? To even have that freedom is a blessing. Because not everybody does. And it shows. Because Shirley, vocally, she's hitting ranges that you didn't... Honestly, you were you got glimpses of with the first two albums. But here, it's like, oh my god. Like, she's belting. I, again, took like eight pages of notes because I'm that person. I, there are several points where I wrote down, like, Shirley is exploring higher registers. And it's awesome. And I love it. Um. Okay. So, shut your mouth. Shut your mouth. Oh, I was going to say, like, I I did. (laughs) (laughs) Garbage always pulls these bangers for their first track. Yes. So one of these times that we get together and do this, I want to talk about putting together an album with you. Because I have some thoughts and opinions on how to do that. And I don't think a lot of bands know how to do it properly. I was just talking about this very same thing today. (laughs) But I think this album is structured okay. There are some things that I would change, and that's more towards the back end of the album. So the guitar bit in the beginning of the song fucking rules. And I don't know a lot about like guitar tech, but um, if you go on Wikipedia and you read about the song, they explain completely like, how they managed to get that like super grimy guitar riff in the beginning. And then they like pump it through a pedal and pump the pedal through something else. It was like super bonkers. I'm not even going to try to explain it to you. Just Wikipedia is your friend. Do it. They did a bunch of effects on her vocals in this song, which I also really enjoyed. It's a bunch of stuff on Pro Tools. I feel like you don't hear her accent very often, but her accent like peeks out in a couple of spots in this song and every single time it just like makes me like squee like a little girl. Right? <laughs> every single time, like a little, little girl where I'm just like, you're so adorable. I just want to pinch your little cheeks. <laughs> and then she's going to curse you the fuck out. <laughs> yeah. And then she's going to call me an asshole. It's going to be Again. <laughs> I like this song as as like a thesis statement for this album. Because, like, the message of the song lyrically is basically, like, everybody's got their own sort of timeline, their own calendar, and their own list of shit to do to, like, get done. Not everybody follows the same thing. And I think it's a really strong message to sort of put forth at the beginning of the album. This always makes me laugh because you don't really notice it unless you're wearing headphones. In Interlude, when they do that. Um, like echo effect on shitload the word shitload it pans between speakers it always makes me laugh when i'm wearing headphones <laughs> i've never wait i was listening to that today on headphones how did i never yeah. get that effect damn it now i'm left out <laughs> it's super funny just like next time just like listen for it so many of my notes are just like i like this 
smiley face. Because <laughs> they do so much cool shit on this album, like, as far as playing with certain things, like, either guitar tones or time signatures or even just with Shirley's voice. Yes. Like, you know, it is, it's, you know how, like, some bands, like, they'll put in effects, and I'm like, you didn't need that there. No. Um, basically bushes the science of things. I'm sorry. <laughs> I love that album, but there's sometimes I'm like, all right, did you really need those beeps there? I get it. This is supposed to be electronic, but chill out, Gavin. I know you just got this thing today, but we don't all have to use all the buttons at once. Relax. Exactly. And especially around this time when like Pro Tools and GarageBand were sort of raising to prominence, like bands were just using like filters and different effects because they were there and because they could. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Jeff Goldblum, that shit. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that soundbite should be the intro for so many bands' albums. (laughs) Like, even in my own playlist, like, you know what? I may just do that for albums that I know where they do too much shit. If I could just isolate that audio or just put it in in a mix. Just, like, mix it in quietly underneath, like, subliminal messages. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm not going to tell people, just make the mix CD. <laughs> it's like, why do you all of a sudden give me mix CDs? And who still does this? It's like, just listen. I, there's no other way to do this. Oh, but, uh, shit. Now i got to actually pull up the track listing because I forgot because I think Androgyny was the next one. Yes. The bass line in that song I really like. It's like, you only really hear it during the verses. Because during the chorus, everything has kind of turned up to 11. But you can hear the bass line during the verses, and it's really funky, and it sounds really cool. It's like one of those like things that you don't really notice, but it just sort of adds to like the playfulness of the song. And like the song is very playful. I have Free Your Mind written in all capital letters. I'm not really sure why. As in like the Invoke song? No, like as in like that's a ly- a lyric from this song, but I don't remember why I wrote it in all capitals. <laughs> we kind of touched on this a little bit with the no doubt stuff about revisiting certain lyrics and themes at different times in your life mm-hmm. and coming to sort of different conclusions as to what they meant or just my interpretation. But it always goes back to this thought I've always just had is Shirley was always ahead of her time and talking about shit that bands wouldn't touch. Yeah, I'm just going to talk about this, and I don't care how uncomfortable you are. I have shit I need to say. This song and Cherry Lips later on in the album, like, these are still songs that are embraced by communities that they affect, like the trans community and all that kind of stuff, as anthems. And, like, this album came out 18 years ago. And, you know, these are issues that we're dealing with, like, now, today. I really didn't take into account what Shirley was saying. Like, you know, yes, I listened to it as far as the music, but I never really took that deep dive into this one that I did into some of the other garbage albums. And it aged very well. I think you could put this album out tomorrow and it would be successful. And I think in some ways it might be more successful now than it was back in, in 2001. I know a lot of this album kind of got buried under, you know, post 9-11 goings on. And it's a shame (laughs) because I would argue that there are other albums that came out around this time and did pretty okay. Mm -hmm. No, I think that it got through. Like, believe me, it it wasn't poor marketing, but I think it made it a little easier to ignore in certain circles. Well, and what's interesting is, like, this album did okay in North America, Um, It did amazing in Europe and Japan and, you know, other international markets. I would argue that Um, a lot of that was because of the themes of this album. Yes. And, you know, yes, it sounds great. You could put it on, though. But when you really start getting into the subject matter, you know, it touches on a lot of taboos that, you know, 18 years ago. And I mean, shit, even as soon as yesterday, we're still not ready to deal with. (laughs) Yes. Oh, it was poor marketing and this. Like, no, trust me. They were still on a major label. Yeah, they were on Interscope. Yeah. Like, like, come on now. Interscope was a pretty big deal then. Yes. So don't give me that bullshit. I would not be surprised to find out that, like, they gave Interscope this album and Interscope was just sort of, like, not super sure how to market this. And I don't want to make it a competition because you don't want to be super gross and have women competing. But if you think about an album like Rocksteady versus an album like Beautiful Garbage... On paper, one is a much easier album to digest. Yes. And it's a super easy album to sell. 
I mean, for what it is, like Rocksteady is insanely commercial. It's not going to offend anybody because there's no point to it, <laughs> um, which sounds mean, but is, I mean, it's not making a statement in the same way that this album makes a statement. Right. And Gwen has made statements. So it's not like, that's what I'm saying. I didn't want to make it like, oh, she's better than her or any, anything like that. But I'm just talking about as far as from a promotional standpoint and how labels think. And I think that's okay. Like Middle America was not going to get into this, and <laughs> but that's fine. Fuck them. Hey, some of us in Middle America are just fine and are progressive people <laughs> who like good shit. <laughs> <laughs> just want to put that out there on the record. All right, I retract. Um, <laughs> hashtag not all Midwesterners. <laughs> <laughs> Um. <laughs> Damn. All right. You shut me right the hell up. <laughs> so, out of all the things in the world, I didn't know that I needed until I had it. Um, I didn't know that I needed garbage doing like a '60s girl group style song. And now I wish that there was a whole album that existed of that. Yes. Like seriously, give me a whole album that is just sort of influence and just sounds like can't cry these tears because that song fucking bangs it's, it's so good so good <laughs> and i remember just even when it first came out like oh this is this is garbage i don't know what's yeah. going on but give me this please the like strings and the synth are fucking rad the backup vocals are so fun shirley fucking sings on this song it's so good and this is that song that's like, give her another Bond theme, please. Like, why would why did you only please give her one? Why is she thanks. not singing all of them? It should have been garbage. And all the way up until Adele, let her do this, and then it went back to garbage. <laughs> like, Shirley Manson should have been the new Shirley Bassey. Can't cry these tears till the day I die and cup of coffee feel like a musical movement to me. They all sort of deal with the idea of like romantic obsession. Can't Cry These Tears is sort of like mostly harmless, but at the end that like it's time to settle the score. When she says that like that last final line, it sounds fucking sinister as shit. And then like till the day I die, it sounds like it feels like the relationship is going fine until it's like declining and definitely, you know, starting to become super problematic. And then you get towards the end of that song where she's like singing farewell over the chorus. And then it sort of like bleeds into cup of coffee where the dude is like, yo, I can't do this anymore because you are fucking nuts. <laughs> and then she's singing about like smoking his cigarettes and not eating enough and like stalking him. Like these three songs together are so fucking good. I love that. <laughs> Shirley was always great at that because you know, not for nothing. How many songs did men do for years about the same subject? And it was always seen as sweet, like fucking police. Like they all be Ugh. watching you was sung at like fucking weddings. When Shirley did it though, it was like you didn't get that. I mean, number one crush alone, like my god. I don't want to say it's my favorite. But I think I might have to say that, like, Cup of Coffee is my favorite song on this album. Interesting. There's a fucking theremin in the beginning and the end. <laughs> like, what are we even doing? <laughs> we are just start throwing theremins in. I think that's essentially when it's like, well, fuck. And it fucking bangs. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> this is another song that's kind of fun to listen to with headphones because you can sort of hear there's a lot of, like, instrumentation stuff that's like mixed really low like below the vocals that you can hear with that but you can't you don't really notice it like listening to it in the car or whatever <laughs> my notes quote no of course we can't be friends me your self-awareness does you credit <laughs> <laughs> given the year that this came out and the stuff that was going on it's like i remember feeling this one in my soul because i'm like damn you got me pegged. Yes. Smoking your brand of cigarettes. Like, I feel fucking seen. Not great. Yeah, I was like, Shirley, you didn't have to call us out. Now I feel like I was called an asshole, and I wasn't even involved <laughs> in that whole thing. <laughs> What's cool is, like, there are a million and one songs about a relationship disintegrating and, you know, dealing with the heartbreak and loss and stuff afterwards, but, like, so few of them are this fucking creepy. 
Because if you think about it, like, this is all shit that, like, is super relatable. Like, you and I just talked about, like, literally, like, we feel seen in this song. But, like, we don't acknowledge that, like, people are fucking creeps. <laughs> Love makes people do creepy shit. They really do, and we don't talk about it enough, and I know that it's not necessarily something that is easy to talk about. I don't want to be like, oh, we've all been there, but I mean, there's a reason why songs like this are made, because I think a lot more people resonate with them than we let on, because you're not going to tell someone that you're super obsessed unless, you know, they're like, dude, or, yo, you're obsessed. Yeah. And like, no, I'm not. <laughs> like, well, I mean, look at your phone. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take stock of your time and place for the last, like, 24 hours. What have you been doing? What are, you know? Because <laughs> call logs in 2002 may not have had <laughs> smartphones, but trust me, you can still... Or I guess this would be the dreaded um, aim messaging explosions. Like, fuck your away message. You're going to see these anyway. <laughs> oh my god, aim. <laughs> I just... It, it was a really interesting choice to, to sort of point out how fucking creepy people are. I appreciated it. It was something different. And then silence is golden. God. Yikes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the song is instrumentally like a really nice departure from Cup of Coffee for sure. Like that heavy guitar is really great. Her vocal performance is probably the best on this song. And like capturing the emotion of it. Because like this song is about sexual abuse. Yeah, this is this is a this was a rough one to listen to. Yeah. You can hear like she pushes her voice to where it sounds like it could just like break and shatter at any moment towards that end. Ugh. My body is a temple. Nothing is simple. The lyrics in the song are so great and they are so upsetting when you put them in context. The first couple of lines of the first verse, though, I mean, this is shit that, again, talking about this album could have come out last week and it'd still yes. be relevant. Glad to know that things have progressed. Oh, wait, no, not actually at all. Going back to what we're saying, I think we hit the nail on the head. It's like, this is, I think, really why this album, at least in North America, was so tough because, again, it wasn't so easily marketed. For sure. Shut your mouth, maybe, but how many songs that talk shit about the industry are really going to be put out? Shut Your Mouth was a single. Wait, you're right, it was. Yeah, Shut Your Mouth was a single. But I think that you can take Shut Your Mouth and make it very much not about the music industry. That is true. I may have completely misunderstood this, but from what I read, Cherry Lips was released as a single internationally, but not in North America. Again, why am I not surprised? Breaking Up the Girl was the single that they used instead. Which is interesting. Breaking Up the Girl is one of my least favorite songs off this album. Oh, come on, but that chorus is so good. The chorus is good. Um, literally, the first note I have here is, meh, the song is fine. Oh, um, this might be the <laughs> boo. Boo this podcast. <laughs> boo. Um, Breaking Up the Girl is so good. Every time I see this title, I think it's a Red Hot Chili Pepper cover, and it's not. Oh, they should stop. just go ahead and, and cover no, that song because it would be that's badass. actually borderline problematic. No. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> wow. <laughs> I apparently was in a mood at this point in my note-taking experience because that's literally the only note I have about this song. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, though? I didn't necessarily say you're wrong, but I, I don't think I've ever actually heard the take regarding the song. I thought it was a unanimous decision that, you know, the song ripped. <laughs> I'll say this, though. The uh, the introduction is a little weird. The intro to, like, the verses, I don't think works as well compared to the rest of the song. It's a little misleading. This song, to me, feels like the record people went to garbage and they're like, we need something that kind of is middle of the road and sounds like a single can you do that? And they said, yes, of course. And then they gave them this. But I think it's like, okay, they gave them this musically, but I think that's why the song is still important because the, I can see that happening. But even mm -hmm. then, Shirley wasn't going to let that go and just give him a throwaway. Like, she still had to say something. For sure. I don't know if she ever hears this. It's like, you're all wrong. Like, none of this. Is <laughs> <laughs> I just want garbage to do my Red Hot Chili Peppers cover and then I can. Oh. <laughs> 
Damn, I'm never going to not think about this now. You've ruined the song for me. <laughs> you are welcome. But Cherry Lips. Yeah, I was going to say, we skipped one of the best songs on this album. And oh, we didn't skip shit. Us. Oh, we were getting back to that. I might skip the rest of this. No, we had to talk about Parade, but... Yes, yes, we do. If there was like a playlist of my favorite garbage tracks, this is definitely in the top five. There are few drops, like bass drops that make me want to like fuck shit up more than when the guitar and the bass fucking kick in in this song. I just want to like dance and destroy shit every time. (laughs) It's so good. And there's definitely parts of the song that are rougher than others because, you know, it really does go through the entire gamut. But at the end, it's still kind of celebratory and as much of like, yes, it's hard, but it's like, you do you. For sure. And I just, I just love the energy behind this track. I read an interview that Shirley gave where she said, like, this song is the most celebratory and like adrenaline pumping song that they had ever made. And like thinking about that more, I'm like, yeah, that checks out. Actually, I would agree with that 100%. The bridge alone, you know, it's like you shine a light on hidden parts. I was like, I know what she's saying, and that's fucking amazing. <laughs> Who else in 2001 is talking about this shit? Fuck you, Incubus. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, you're fine. I didn't know you and Brandon Boyd had beef. Because I was very big into the first few Incubus albums, and then this one's all, like, not that. And then he starts wearing shirts, and then there was that, also that time <laughs> where I mistook Hoobastank for Incubus, and it was a whole thing, and I'm still kind of bitter about it. We can't. We can't do Hoobastank right now. No. I mean, we could. <laughs> Not a perfect person. <laughs> oh my god. Do, 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 do. <laughs> oh, come on. Like, sucks. I, I No, but that first Hoobastank album, come on. Crawling in the Dark? Crawling in the Dark fucking bangs. That song. That song, so come on. You just want to like rip a muscle, like rip into like some muscle car, pop a wheelie on some Dominic Toretto ship, or like downing a Mountain Dew, which I wasn't yes. using a Mountain Dew commercial. I feel like that was the thing. It, it has to have been. It's so era specific. You when you just want like that broy, like adrenaline pumping alternative rock, like that first album is not bad if you're if you're looking for that very hyper specific vibe. But we're not talking about Hoobastank right now. <laughs> that Hoobastank album and the Edema album that came out around the same time. Like I wore those two albums out. <laughs> Cherry lips, though. <laughs> Sorry, I just. <laughs> Um, at one point they use the same like church bell sound effect that they do in Can't Cry These Tears from like earlier in the album and I don't think it's for like any real purpose it fit in both songs but it was just like a nerdy like thing that sort of like makes the album feel sort of cohesive it's like a fun little present for the people that are actually listening to the album instead of just like a song one more thing about Cherry Lips Microsoft used this song in a commercial like six months ago. What? To sell a tablet. Is that the feeling that like our parents had when like songs that were about like protest and social justice were used to advertise banking firms? Yeah. Like they literally just like cut the go baby go part and just like kept playing it and like. What? Not for the surface go. Yes. It was for the surface go. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of those where like more. i heard i heard the commercial and i'm like oh i hate this oh, i hate this a lot and then i'm like i'm so angry but they probably got paid hell of money so maybe i don't hate this that much for them oh what was my favorite example of that um what was the show army wives i think it was on lifetime i remember because i could think my mom and my grandmother were watching it on netflix but with the one picnic where they used uh 16 military wives Oh my god, what? And they basically would just loop that line and then just cut the instrumentals because other than that line, there's nothing else about this song that would be okay for this particular scene. No, because that song is fucking brutal and super scathing and amazing. But the fact that they were like, we heard the rest of the song, we're just going to chop this part off and use it and then just keep looping him saying that is super gross. Just gonna play sixteen military wives and then the ba ba da ba da part over and over again. That's exactly what that's what that's all it was. And then they kicked into the instrumental where you know it was just a chorus without the words. 
I hope Colin got like hella money. Yeah. <laughs> like that basically paid for our next two albums. <laughs> Side note, we need to talk about one of those albums at some point. Because the fucking Decemberists are my shit. Do we get to drive you home? I think that's where we're starting now. This is another song. I only wrote one thing. I like when albums end with a song that kind of gives you pause and sort of forces you to reflect. And this song feels like it should be that. And I almost want to move it there. But the song that's last on this album needs to be there because it's better at doing what I think a last track should do. But the song is great. I like it a lot. I just apparently not enough to take any notes on it. <laughs> yeah, and like I even read some of like the notes as far as like I guess an interview she had done about it. And it was like a nice sentiment, but it was never my favorite. But again, to say that this is not my favorite song on a garbage album is like saying, you know, like the ice cream analogy. It's like it I don't look really a huge fan of chocolate ice cream, but it's still ice cream. Right. Nobody Loves You is my least favorite song off this album. <gasps> what the fuck? <laughs> really? <laughs> we really don't agree. <laughs> what? No. Um, and I literally, like, I have written, it, this is my least favorite song on this album. It's fine. Like, it's great. I just do not connect with it as much as I do with other songs. No, this song, honestly, Nobody Loves You. I'm going to just go on record right now. This should be the closer. Because it is a monster of an album. And, oh, come on. Like, this should have been another Bond theme. This should have been the theme for Dino Another Day. I mean, you're totally okay for not liking it, but <laughs> I'm hurt. The, the, like, upward scale thing that they do at the piano, like in the intro and a little bit in the interlude and at the end where like everything sort of falls apart and does this like crazy build is so good that shit is great it makes me think of um day in life by the beatles where like yes that that ending sort of builds and then it ends at that like c chord with the like six pianos or whatever um that part's fucking sick it's just like the like the verses and stuff i get real bored but I think the verses are cool because, and this is something that Garbage always does, you kind of get lulled into this false sense of complacency because you already start building in your mind where you think you know where the song's going to go. Mm -hmm. It's not one of the most dynamic verses or choruses. No, not at all. Until you get towards the closing and then that bridge where it all of a sudden it just goes off the wall again. And it's so, it's so brilliant because it's like, all right, this is whatever, this is whatever. And then all of a sudden it just kicks and you're like, holy shit. That is the part that makes the song interesting. It's like in the air tonight. We're like, we're all here for the drum solo. So like, let's cut the two and a half minutes fucking beforehand and just get to the drum solo. That drum solo is great. But if you don't have everything leading up to that, the drum solo does not have the same effect. And you hate it for that reason. Like you hate it. Cause like Phil Collins, why do you make me listen to this bored ass bullshit? <laughs> And then Phil's like, oi, I don't know why I gave him a cocky accent, a cocky <laughs> accent, but I just, oi, like <laughs> oh, we just lost everybody in the UK on that one. Sorry, we're dumb Americans. It's a thing that we do. We we're, Clearly we are dumb. We didn't even get this album to fucking respect the dessert when it first came out. <laughs> Wait, did we skip the whole song? Yeah, we definitely did. We'll come back to it. Oh, we're going back. I'm sorry. I we, I don't know. You said nobody loves you, and I was offended, and then I didn't let it die. Um, no, like you you do need the verses and that sort of quiet part to sort of build tension. No, that's totally cool. Like I generally am not all that bothered. I just think for the, the comedy of it all, I'm just more of like, go figure. The one I love the most would be the one you can't stand. Hey, can't stand is very strong. Like it's a garbage song, so I still like it better than like ninety percent of music on this earth. But we skip parade, so we should go back to parade. My God, this song so good. The first two notes I have on this song. The first note is just kaboom with a little bomb that I drew. Um, and <laughs> I need pictures of your nose because I feel like your doodles are probably amazing. <laughs> and literally, the second note is this song feels the most vintage garbage off this album. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. I mean, I do obviously, but like, it's just a weird thing that happens every time I hear this song. I am immediately thrust back to like early high school playing video games, listening to this song struggling with a level of something and listening to the song i also agree and god damn it Bergen, that's the second time we did this and i get out of my head 
Um, this is scary because now you're starting to reach into like certain thought process. Because I said the same thing because when this album came out, I played a lot of Sonic Adventure 2. But then it's funny that we both equated this to video games because this was also featured on the ATV Off-Road Fury 2 soundtrack. <laughs> a game that I definitely did not play. I only played it because um, I broke my, talking about 2002 memories, we went to go see Spider-Man, the first one, Tobey Maguire, um, when it came out. My aunt took us, and she was like, we're going to be late, so we ran out the room. My cousin, being much faster than me, you know, he just takes off. He's like already halfway down the stairs. I tried to get up. I'm fumbling in my like legs caught in the controller, pull the entire PlayStation 2 off of the shelf, oh, and it shatters into like mini dozen oh, pieces. shit. So it was like, yay, Spider-Man. And it's like, oh, fuck, I broke my cousin's PlayStation. So I gave him mine because it's like, I don't have the money to pay for you for your new one. So I will give you my PlayStation. Aw, it was downright decent of you. It was the only right thing to do. But then, you know, I ended up getting like a summer job and pay for a new PlayStation, which had ATV Offer Fury 2 on it. Because <laughs> then I remember playing that game and always just trying to find a way to hear the song. Ignoring the fact that it had the CD right fucking there. This is a thing that I kind of miss about old school gaming versus like gaming now. There were so many games back then that you didn't need to hear anything like this because the stories weren't that complex. Like you could sit there and fucking play like Crash Bandicoot or Gran Turismo and mute the games entirely and just listen to whatever the hell you wanted. Yeah, I still do that now, with, especially with podcasts. So much level grinding during podcasts. I don't do it very often anymore because, like, I guess most of what I play is, like, fucking ridiculous RPGs. Well, you have Spotify, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, because you could just play that through the PlayStation, which is what I do. That's right. That is the thing I can do now. Mm-hmm. So I basically just turn off the music in-game and then just play Spotify through the uh, PlayStation. This song, to me, feels like a spiritual sequel to When I Grow Up. Get the frig out of my head, Because, <laughs> like, when I grow up... your middle name, because this is fucked up. You're, you're, <laughs> now you're just creeping into my brain here. Who are no. you? Because, <laughs> like, when I grow up, is basically like, I'm going to be an adult, I'm going to do stable shit, and it's going to be rad. And Parade is like, fuck stable shit. <laughs> we don't need to do stable shit. Just do whatever you feel, you know, that moves you. This song got me an A-plus in my religion class. Yeah? Let's let's go back into the Wayback Machine 2002. Went to Catholic school most of my life, with the exception of like a five-month being in public. Didn't last very long. They chewed me up. They knew I was not about that life. I admit that about myself, and now everybody else knows it. But anyway, in high school, we had like religion classes. Matter of fact, the one class we had was actually called morality. Interesting. I'm not making this up. <laughs> So, one of the topics was how music influences people to do bad things. This is hard for me because, you know, I don't believe in that shit. Because, of course, the music I listened to was all the wrong shit. Also, fun aside, in that same school, um, we were doing Dante's Inferno. So, basically, we each got a level of hell and got to pick a song for it. It was the first time I got to play Slipknot in high school and they couldn't say anything about it. <laughs> oh, my God. That's amazing. Oh, and I played one of the weird ones, too, off of, like, the first album, which isn't doesn't even have lyrics. It's just sounds at this point. <laughs> this song was on heavy rotation at the time. And I couldn't, because they're like, oh, what song, you know, could you think of could be a bad influence on somebody? And I'm like, I could have thought of many reasons, but I'm like, well, I really like garbage. I want to find a way to work this in, but I have no way to do that because I fucking love the song. So basically, with that same message of just, fuck it, let's do whatever we want. Oh, what were the words I used? I can't even remember. But long story short, it was like the messages of the song pretty much are a stark contrast to the plan that God has for us because it's like we can't just do whatever we want. Knowing full well, I was just like, all right, whatever, fuck it, delete this up. <laughs> and she's like, oh, this is very observant of you. And like, I had to hear the song. And it's like, I'm sure she listened to it. It's like, this doesn't really sound all that bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yet they gave me an A plus on it because I bullshit a way to write about garbage. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> oh, high school is fun. High school was fun. And if by fun, you mean the opposite of fun. Oh, yeah. I was being completely facetious. But <laughs> I know. 
<laughs> but still, the fact that I had to sit there and, like, not only put Shirley's name in the streets in a way that I didn't even believe, it was just like, I'm sorry, like, it hurt more to blaspheme Shirley than it did to blaspheme Jesus. <laughs> well, don't tell Jesus that. He'll be upset. <laughs> I think it's more upset than the fact that you were talking all the shit about nobody loves you. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'll let it go. Because <laughs> I was so excited. It's <laughs> like, eh, it's all right. Okay, so Untouchable, I also don't like very much. I think it's in the wrong place on this album. I don't know where you put it, but I think it goes much earlier. I don't think there's a place you could put this where it doesn't hurt the flow, because I would say, if anything... I would put the song maybe after Androgyny. Okay. Or maybe after Till the Day I Die. But it also breaks up, like you said, those series of songs that kind of touch on the same subject. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm not saying this to be mean or anything, but I feel like this song could have been a B-side. For sure. That being said, I really like this song. It's a great song. The chorus fucking bangs. The harmonies are great. With the way that Shirley builds harmonies in most garbage songs, the main vocal is your your sort of your top part, and the harmony builds downward. This song, she actually sort of builds it in a more traditional way, with like the main vocal being the bottom, and then the third and the fifth above it. I totally forget like you were in chorus. <laughs> And I promise not to get like super technical. No, Violet, that what kind are you of talking shit. About? Get super technical. I love that. <laughs> I love when you totally just go into like chorus nerd with songs. I live for that uh, shit. She doesn't do it very often. And I think it sounds really cool in this song. And like that for me is sort of the saving grace of it is like she does these really interesting things with harmony. But in all reality, it's not, they're not that interesting. It's just that she normally does really fucking weird shit. <laughs> I mean the the lyrics are fucking great too. Like it's really fucked up. Um I do not like the whispery bit in the middle. It feels really weird and out of place. But I don't like that stuff. Just kind of in general. I don't love talking in songs. Oh, so in other words, there's an entire era of music where every bridge was all just speaking. Talking. Yeah. yeah. So, in other words, Ashley hates most, like, Motown slow jams. Um, I hate the bit where they're talking. (laughs) (laughs) But that's the part that means the most, because then you get to look at your significant other. It's like, baby, like, I'm sorry, did you wrong? But these guys singing in the back (laughs) clearly know that I didn't mean to do it. It just feels so, it just feels so awkward. Like, we're communicating, like, we've chosen to communicate through singing through melody and now all of a sudden we're just like not doing that and i don't i don't understand like is does that make this spoken part more important or less important like i don't know what to do with it (laughs) (laughs) so is it just like the whole fourth wall break thing i just don't like it (laughs) i mean I could definitely see how that's off-putting. I don't disagree, but sometimes, you know, some bands did it better than others. There were some that were a little bit smoother with it, because you know what it was? If you had somebody who had vocals or they just had that way of speaking where it sounds weird, but you know what? It really helps with the song. Mm -hmm. But Shirley's kind of done this before, so it didn't seem too off-putting to me, because it kind of reminded me a little bit of, what was one song from version 2.0, Hammering in My Head? Yeah. Where she kind of goes into that spoken word part. Literally the only band I can think of offhand that it like doesn't upset me is like Boys to Men. And I think it's just because like that dude's voice is so low. It's fucking impressive. <laughs> oh, like, oh, I can't even get that. I can't even get that low. <clears throat> no, I, I literally, I can't. Actually, I'm so, that actually sounds creepy. Like, actually, <laughs> I'm going to kill you. Like, no, I can't even. Like, see, I can't like do it on command. Like, I've been told I've done it before, but it can't just be like, oh, you know, clear your throat, and now it just sounds like, um, hello. <laughs> see, now I just sound like I'm just hitting on you. I was like, oh, I'm clearly the guy from Boys to Men. I'm sorry. <laughs> Which, dude. to be fair, like that's kind of what I don't he's know his doing. name, but I'm clearly that guy from Boys to Men. He's, like, trying to drop panties in that part of the song. Like, I get it. Wait, wait, which song? Because there's a few. Because there's a few times where he does it where he's trying to, like, 
get to a point where they can drop panties again because they're clearly at an impasse in their relationship. Yeah. Because <laughs> all right. <laughs> Baby, I'm so sorry I did like, you wrong. Like exactly. Got like, it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. Like I shouldn't be dropping panties, not dropping hearts. <laughs> I made you frown. Let's turn that frown upside down. Penny drop. Bam. <laughs> why does yours sound like a weird youth pastor? Like, what? <laughs> That's me. I don't know. <laughs> Let's turn that frown upside down. Penny drop. Like, I don't know. Does that work on anybody? Um, I don't know. I'm pretty sure Pat Boone probably did it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Shirley's done it before, but I don't know. It's never been super off-putting. I didn't like it. I I didn't like it and hammer my head and I don't like oh, it. Oh, I love that. Come on. It's the bullet train from Tokyo to Los Angeles. Uh, it's fine. I like it better there than I do here. It's still super weird, but I love it. Wow. So. <laughs> Wait, what's the next song? So Like a Rose. This is the last song on the album. Not a bad track. So... This song came together in three hours. Really? From from concept to basically recording it. Three hours. Which sounded super bonkers to me until I listened to this song like 15 times in a row. And everything is really simple. Like the guitar bit is really simple. The vocals are pretty simple. Um, but there's a lot of stuff. I don't know. I think this song fucking rules. I like it a lot. It's actually not a bad song at all. It's a song that, like I said earlier, I think is a really good way to sort of wrap up an album because you wrap up a lot of lyrical themes that have been sort of explored on this album. And musically, like you give the listener a chance to sort of catch their breath. We've done some really like dancey shit before this and you get some resolution and you get some time to sort of reflect on the musical journey that you've been on over the last 45 minutes. And it's really fucking cool. And the like last minute and a half where it's just sort of like ethereal ooing and awing after like the main set of lyrics is done is fucking gorgeous. It is a really good song and I didn't play this one a lot because uh-huh. it's weird. As someone who loves like prog music and songs that are like 13 minutes long, I definitely had a lower appreciation for that as a kid. So anything that was like past four or five minutes, I'm like, this is far too long. So I think in a lot of ways I used to skip it. But now Mm -hmm. I'm like, man, I was an idiot because this song's gold. Also, the little factoid I found on Gene, this is actually kind of sad. When performing a song live, Shirley usually plays a guitar. Shirley said she got professional training guitar guitar playing during the beautiful garbage writing and recording sessions. Uh, Garbage performed a song live at the Troxy on June 13, 2016. It was the first time the song had been performed since 2002. Shirley declared it to Matt Irwin, the director of the Blood for Poppies video, who had recently committed suicide. Oh, shit. Yeah, I was like, wow. I didn't realize that up until that point, she wasn't like actually trained to play guitar. That's interesting. Someone out there, if anyone, I guess, listens to this and can correct me, or I'll correct myself when I find out, because I know that she had played guitar, and you know, for earlier songs, but I guess that was more for, like, okay, whatever the song called for. Right. We really should get into, at some point, not necessarily for next time, but at some point, uh, Garbage's B-Sides, because there's so many of them, and they're so good. Yes. I don't know if you've ever heard uh, Deadwood, which I think was one of the B-Sides off of, I think, I'm Paranoid. Maybe. So good. Listening to this album on loop has made me really want to listen to Bleed Like Me. So I think I'm probably going to do that for a while. And that's another one that I really need to revisit because I remember liking it a hell of a lot when it came out. But then like, I go to this thing, especially with albums that I like from bands that I like, where I listen to them super heavily and then just not for a while. Maybe uh-huh. because I did. Which is, I'm having that problem now with Heavenly Creatures, because I haven't reached that point where I won't not listen to it. Because <laughs> it's strangely addictive, and I'm kind of angry at the band that they made this super addictive album that's 15 tracks long. <laughs> See, and I, I think I put in like two weeks solid of listening to nothing but that, and I haven't really picked it up since. I'm really glad we did this one, because this, again, I've loved this album. I always have in a weird way. Even though I think when it first came out, I didn't really give it as much appreciation, only because my worldview was a lot different then. This was harder for me than Rocksteady was. 
like you and I talked about this not that long ago. It's so much easier to approach a piece of media and shit on it mm-hmm. <laughs> and to pick it apart in a really negative way. It's really hard to sort of verbalize what you like about something, which is why I'm sure when you go back and edit this podcast, it's just going to be me being like, it's just really good. I really like this like a thousand times and I'm sorry. <laughs> Because we could have just picked another album that we know we weren't into. And, I mean, I don't think we even went into Rocksteady with the intent of crapping on it. Because I think I even said it at the one part I remember editing was the fact that I wanted to like it. Because maybe at the time, there's a lot of stuff that came out. And I'm like, oh, this is dumb. And then you pick it up years later. And it's like, holy shit, this is great. Yes. I was kind of hoping for that with Rocksteady. But I realized as much as the music of Rocksteady isn't bad especially where I am now in my life, it's hard to listen to music if it's not saying something. The reason I compared those two albums originally was because both bands had released two albums prior that were very personal to them. And this was sort of their foray into something macro instead of micro, whereas Rocksteady felt kind of like vapid and about nothing. This album still manages to feel like it's it's saying something. And it was just sort of an interesting I like I, you're not comparing and contrasting them cuz like they're different and they both bands set out to do different things. But like within the realm of sort of like letting go of your own personal bullshit and sort of embracing the bullshit of the world around you, like Gwen chose to dance about it and to get wasted and to visit Caribbean dance halls and shit like that and Shirley chose to sort of read some super serious books and explore just sort of like common themes within humanity and not necessarily bring it back to her own life right neither one is wrong they're both different it's kind of like people and how they consume their entertainment sometimes it's as a means to escape or sometimes it's a means to reflect on whether it be your own life or just life in general. For sure. Rocksteady, it definitely felt more like Escape is Fair, which is fine. Sometimes you just need to just kick back and just get goofy for a little bit. But either one, it's like, you know, you don't want to get also so introspective to the point where it's like you almost start wallowing in it. Uh-huh. I just wish that Rocksteady had done maybe a little bit more introspection and not strictly party anthems. I I have no qualms with party anthems. If that's fine. Again, I think it just didn't feel genuine. Intent is important. And this album feels genuine. It's definitely different than any other garbage album that has been released to date. But it's still them. There was an interview I was reading, Shirley did earlier this year talking about this album. They look, all the band members look upon this album fondly and have, you know, really warm, squishy feelings about it because it's very different and they, they had fun making it. And I had fun listening to it. And also something I love about Shirley is, or one of the many things, is her willingness to grow along with her listeners. Whether it be learning about herself and also, you know, anytime that she's ever had to battle any of her demons, she has allowed us to see that process. Some bands <laughs> um, use music as sort of like a therapist couch. And once they're sort of done processing what it is that they need to process and they've, you know, gotten better, I'm using giant air quotes with that. Their music suffers. Their art suffers, like because they don't have anything genuine to sort of express. But music doesn't have to be therapy in that way. Like you don't have to just dump your purse on the counter and be done with it once you know you figured everything out. And I think a lot of bands get to the point where they figured their shit out and don't know how to move forward artistically from there. And I am so happy that Shirley seems to be doing really well mentally, and the band is still continuing to make really good music. I don't think there's ever been a song where it's like, well, this is just plain awful, because, you know, they hold themselves to a higher standard than I think a lot of people do. 
And it's funny, even listening to some of the B-sides, and you're like, why would they leave these off? Some bands will just be like, all right, throw them all on. Fuck it. This this <laughs> album will be 22 tracks long, 311. Um, <laughs> sorry, and I'm talking shit. I love Transistor. But when I found out, yeah, this was supposed to be a double album. Why not just do that? Because <laughs> you could have cut out a lot of this, and we would have been okay. But I like this a lot. And I'm glad that we went with something that we were able to celebrate. And Because I, I would hate to kind of go back and forth and be like, Yeah, this one sucks, this one sucks. Because <laughs> we're not those people. And, you know, it's like, if the album sucked, I don't know if I want to necessarily bother with it. Sometimes it's fun to be really bitchy. And other times, you need to just sort of put that negativity away. That is true. So, you know what? All right. So, next album. All right. Here, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do uh, Crazy Town. There you go. Oh, my God. No. <laughs> I'm I'm joking. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, my God. The sound of fear in your voice. Like, you. Be my butterfly. Sugar, baby. <laughs> That's it. That's all I know. Oh, my God. <laughs> we had discussed at one point doing um, a very fun soundtrack. Do you remember this? Oh, wait, was it the Godzilla one? Yes. <laughs> okay, that's that's right. We'll do the Godzilla soundtrack. Oh, my God. There's some songs in there that are like, oh, my God, why is this on here? Um, I think that soundtrack will be a really good exercise in getting to use our bitchy sides and our not-so-bitchy sides, because there's some really good shit on it, too. There's some amazing songs in there, but then there's some that it's like, what, what? <laughs> Puff Daddy and Jimmy Page, what are we doing? <laughs> Oh, I have a fun story about my dad in that song. <laughs> yes. <sighs> All right. Uh, since we don't really have a sign off, um, bye. Bye. <laughs>